Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots Educational Consulting Services. Our editor and production manager is Katie Kunin. Our producer is Jamie Higa, and our music is provided by Poets Row. Hey everyone, welcome to Education Suspended. Jessica Pfeiffer here. I hope you're doing well. First and foremost, happy Mother's Day. I'm still new to this gig. My daughter's only two and a half years old, and I'm learning something new every single day. Luckily, I have an amazing wife who's a phenomenal mother, which makes it 10 times easier. But I hope you all had a good time celebrating. There's a lot of joy for a lot of us. There's a lot of sadness and sorrow for others. And in so many ways, educators, you take on a parent role with these kids. So to everyone listening, thanks for all you do. Today, we have a great episode. We sit down with Jackie McCormick. I love this episode. Jackie is best friends with one of my best friends, Bethany. It was just a good, good conversation. I feel extremely honored that she shared her story with us, what it was like to live in a reservation, leave that and the cultural implications. She teaches us a lot. So Rise Above is an amazing organization that uses basketball to support indigenous youth. And she just has so many golden nuggets through her own experience. I love how she focuses on creating relationships in the community. They come in and really focus on that piece. They don't try to pretend that they know everything. She has a really good just reality that sometimes these kids show up to school and they're just surviving. And that for us as educators, it's important that we know the cultural implications and what that means. How do we support them in that? This theme, I think, has come up in so many episodes, but she also highlights we have to meet these kids where they're at, whether it is through sport, whether it is through music, whether it is through any modality that creates a fun relational environment. We've got to start with that. So sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with Jackie McCormick. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, I panicked, and that's the song that came to mind. I'm really actually trying to hone in on a really like, you know, when you come out of the basketball tunnel and there's like this famous song. I don't remember it, so I panicked and I just did that one. That's that's where we're at today, everybody. That's where we're at. Hi, Jackie. It's good to see you. Good morning. I guess I should put some context to that random tirade I just had. Jackie's an all-star basketball player. I actually don't know if she can put on her resume that she was a JV all-star like myself, but that's a really hard thing to put on a resume. I'm glad that you're finally here. We've been trying to do this forever. We want to jump into Rise Above, your organization. Before we do that, if you would just say hello to our listeners, talk about what you do, how you got there, and if you feel okay, we actually would love if you would talk about your own educational experience and if there's any connection to the work that you do with Rise Above. Absolutely. So first, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So my name is Jackie. I am Native American. My tribe is Nez Perce. So my, I grew up on a reservation, the Nez Perce Reservation in Idaho. Very small, small, small reservation. No stoplights. So I grew up there, a really wonderful experience. The thing about growing up in a small community like that is every everyone is like family and we all know each other and you can support. And then through high school in Lapway, my graduating class, I think was like 30 kids. So I went freshman year, sophomore year, and then I transferred schools to Lake Oswego in Oregon. And Lake Oswego in Oregon is probably one of the most wealthy public schools in Oregon. And 
to really just sum that experience up is I just did not fit in. It was a very big culture shock for me from social to basketball to education. It was all very overwhelming for me. That experience really, really shaped who I was and my ability to really be resilient as I moved to college. And I went up to play basketball for Illinois State for a full athletic scholarship. But I say this all the time that, you know, leaving my family and leaving my community behind in in Idaho and transferring to a school where it's, um, I could probably count on my hands and toes, the amount of kids of color that were at like Oswego when I was there. And going from like 90%, almost 90% Native American kids in Lapway to a 30 30 graduating class to 1,200 kids in Lake Oswego who didn't look like me, who didn't come from where I came from, don't share the same experiences. It was very, very challenging. Um, And it took a lot of work. And I actually just recently told my mom this story. And she was like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, because you're a mom, you worry. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. Like, we didn't carry around our cell phones 24-7. So my mom retired my freshman year and I was at home after school in Lake Oswego and my mom calls the landline. I pick up the landline and, you know, she's like asking me like, how are things going? How's school? And tears are just like streaming down my face. And I'm just like, I don't express outwardly a lot of emotion, but I'm very emotional. I don't know if that makes sense. So she calls and tears are just like streaming down my face. And I was like, mom, this is, it's so awesome. It's wonderful meeting so many amazing folks. And it's just, I love it because I couldn't bring myself to like, she's already sacrificed enough, letting me leave, letting, letting go of her kid. She was really my grand grandma. She raised me, but to me, she sacrificed enough. And so I, I just had to get through it. All that to say is that it was a really whirlwind of an experience. It was a culture shock. But had I not gone through that, I'm not sure that I would have made it at Illinois State. So that's kind of a summary, quick summary of um, where I come from and a short educational experience. And and that for sure molded who I am, but also it gave life to rise above. And really my experiences really created Rise Above. You know, I didn't have somebody to really emulate growing up that was playing Division One basketball, that was leaving the reservation and doing what I wanted to do. So ever since that moment of realization, when I stepped foot on campus, I knew that I had to give back. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I, for sure, ever since I stepped foot on campus, I knew that there was going to be a way that I was going to give back and figure out how to be a person to a young Native girl or boy growing up who wanted to go to college or be an athlete or be a leader, whatever that looked like. I just I just knew it was in my heart. That's going to happen. And I just didn't know how, but here we are, year six of Rise Above and making some exciting moves. I want to clarify. So when you transferred in high school, who did you live with? It sounds like your family stayed on the reservation or did did some people go with you or what was that like? Yeah. So I was raised by my grandparents. My, my grandma and grandpa raised me like literally from birth. And so I call them my mom and dad. So their oldest son lived in Portland on the border of Portland, Lake Oswego. He, his wife and their two children lived there. And that's who I lived with. First off, thank you for sharing. That's that's a beautiful story. And I got a little choked up actually when you kind of shared of talking to your mother and your own sacrifice at that age, knowing that they had also sacrificed so much, but keeping that in, inside. But if you were to kind of talk to your high school self from where you are now, what would you what would you say about that experience? 
It's so funny that you asked that because I, I've actually tried to incorporate this in when I'm talking to kids is going through all these experiences, but what would I tell 14-year-old Jackie, right? If I could tell 14-year-old Jackie, what would I say to her? And really, the thing that I always go back to is you're going to be loved, you're going to be cared for, and things are going to work out, and you're not gonna, always going to understand why, but there's a higher calling. There's a higher calling for you and you have to believe in your experiences and what's going to happen and things are going to happen for a reason. It's all part of a plan. The other thing is it's going to be really freaking hard, <laughs> but you got this and don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to ask for help. There's just so many things that when you reflect on it, you understand like how traumatic some of your experiences were and how hard those were, but you don't really understand that as a 14 year old kid or a 15 year old kid. But when you look back, oh, wow, like how on earth did you like get through that and make it? And But 14 year old Jackie, I would definitely tell her that there's a plan and don't be afraid to reach out because that was a big one. I was really afraid to reach out. I, I you know, part of being in sports is that, you know, you push through, you figure it out and you get it done. That at times has become, that was one of my biggest strengths, but it's also at times been one of my biggest weaknesses because I just pushed through and I figured it out and I'm like, I'm going to get it done. I got this. I'm strong. I'm capable. I'm smart. But I had to, I struggled a lot and reaching out was probably the, the one thing that really saved me, especially when we're talking about the educational struggles that I went through is, is definitely reaching out for help and understanding that it's okay that people help you. It's okay that you have a support mm. system and it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay that you're growing and you're uncomfortable because I think a lot of times now when kids are growing and they're uncomfortable, they like think that that's a bad thing, that I'm not comfortable with this. I should pull back. And one of the quotes that I always tell kids when I talk is my favorite quote from Kobe Bryant, actually. He was talking to one of his mentees and he said, it's okay to be unapologetically great. And I was like, man, Imagine if somebody was telling you, it's okay to be unapologetically great. It's okay to want to raise your hand. It's okay to want to be a straight A student. Because for me, growing up, raising your hand in class, people were like, why are you raising your hand? So when I went to Lake Oswego, that was like a shock to me. I was like, wow, these kids actually want to engage with the teacher. What is this? So it's really, you know, you're going to be loved. There's a plan and stick to it. You don't have to understand everything that's happening. Just know that you're on the right path. Greener, go ahead. You are muted. You're going to have to unmute. Very muted. I'm, I'm extremely muted. That's the way they like to keep me, Jackie, on the show. <laughs> keep him muted. I'm very touched by your community, Lapway, because there were strengths and sort of energy. There was just something beautiful about that place. And I wondered if you could tell us a little more about the strengths of that place that might also be a part of what you're doing now. What, 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 what did you take from those growing up years? Yeah, you know, um, the reservation, it's it's really such a, a tight knit community, you know, when you when you go to the grocery store, when you go anywhere, like you're gonna know people. But what I really love about growing up on the reservation is just your experiences and in your support system. Growing up, people were there. My mom and dad were at every one of my games, whether it was a rec league game or it was the championship, they were there. But the community support, it's just a very unique experience. It was funny, one of my friends came to the reservation. They're like, well, we have a meeting. What time should we leave? And the meeting was at one. And I was like, I don't know, 12.55? Like, it's like down the road. But it's so nice growing up on the reservation is, you you know, we rode our bikes everywhere. You know, we played wiffle ball and we had so many support 
so many, so many talented folks and the cultural component. I wasn't raised super cultural. So like I danced, I participated as a young girl, got my name giving, I did, I did all that, but my family wasn't, wasn't super cultural. My dad actually spoke fluent in Esperance, but he lost it as the years went on because he didn't really have people to talk to. And so that, that language just kind of dies off when you're not able to practice it. Growing up in the reservation, just a very unique experience, but also has its challenges. When you're going through a difficult time, a lot of people know your business. And so that's, that is one of the challenges is growing up in any small community is that you have a lot of eyes on you, whether it's good or it's bad. It definitely molded me for sure. There's nothing like the reservation. There really isn't. A lot of people have come out to the reservation with me. I remember one of my teammates was, do I need an ID to come on the reservation? Because she she had this mindset where it was this gated community and like, you could only come in if you were native. And it was just funny, but they all left feeling better, knowing more about the culture, knowing more about who I was, where I came from and understanding me more of why I am the way I am. I like that. I also wonder if it's okay with you, do you, because I, I want to get to Rise Above because it's an amazing organization. I love what you do and your collaboration with schools, but the selfish side of me also would love to jump into the cultural implications of the public ed system, specifically for our Native and Indigenous kids. Obviously, the premise of our of our show is we've got a shift. We are living in an archaic world in this realm of ed. And this is, for us, a big thing that we just don't address enough. For millennia, we have done a heinous, and that's an understatement job, of talking about our history, of acknowledging this for our Native and Indigenous kids. And I think that that has to have an impact on Native students going to public education entities. I don't even know if that makes sense. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, no. So like I said earlier, like, you know, when you when you look back and, and you, you know, look back at your experiences, when I look back, what my experiences were going through K through six and high school and, and what that looks like now, there was an article actually where this newspaper that was a local newspaper came out to the tribe. Our school is a public school. It's not a tribal school. So they came out to the school and they did interviews with, I think we were second graders at the time. And it was about Thanksgiving. So essentially, like I said, everyone is here because of corn. (laughs) That was was my go-to. Everybody made it because we shared corn. But I was thinking about the craziness of that would never happen now. My point to that is, is that we weren't really taught the true story of what happened, the true story, the true history. That's very evident all the way through. And specifically for me, I started in Lapway and I was taking Native American history because I wanted just to learn more, not only about my tribe, but like all the other tribes. And so I wanted to learn more. And so I signed up for Native American history. When I transferred to Lake Oswego, they actually were talking about my Native American history because I had, you know, you have to take all these U.S. government classes, but they counted my U.S. or my Native American history from Lapway into my my history requirement for like Oswego. So I never actually took like U.S. history and I never had that experience having to go through all the U.S. history. And I just only had my Native American history experiences, which can be good and which can be bad because there's a lot of things that I probably should know that I don't. But the experiences now, I know that our tribe is working really hard to integrate our language into our even our pre-K We're really good at that because we control that. Our tribe controls that. Our tribe provides pre-K. So all these cultural things are provided to our pre-K students. But then once they get to kindergarten, 
it dramatically drops. And as they get older and as they go, like it just drops off and it drops off and it drops off. A couple of the nice things about the colleges around is that they are offering Native American language as a part of the foreign language requirement. So that has been nice, but the history and the real, the real history of the United States and the relationship with tribes, I don't feel like there it's ever going to be taught accurately. And I know that really sucks. And especially for people like my mom is a, my mom grew up with, with her grandparents. My mom grew up with like no running water, no, no access. Her entertainment was the radio. So when I look at her experience and growing up and look at my experience, really the educational system and talking about our history and talking about the realness has really failed, failed everyone. I feel like when it comes to true and accurate history, and that's why we have these silly movies and we have these silly shows or mascots or whatever that is, is because we weren't taught to really know the history of natives and, and where tribes come from. That's one thing that I really like about Portugal the Man is in all of their concerts and their venues, they do land acknowledgments. They research whose land they're on and they give acknowledgement to that tribe or indigenous community at every one of their concerts, which I think is really cool. In your story in the beginning, you talked about one of the hardest parts of moving is that not only just your size of the school was representation. Going from a school in which everyone looked like you, including maybe some of your teachers and going into a building that I don't know, but I'm, I'm just going to assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was maybe mostly white teachers. I actually just did a, a keynote for the U.S. Department of Interior and their Bureau of Indian Education which was a really cool experience, but it's the one thing that was on my mind the whole time of like, what is representation like in all these 90 plus schools around the United States for these kids? So when I was growing up, my K through six, I don't remember a teacher of color at all. I just, I don't remember that. I don't know that we had one in high school, maybe. Man, I'd have to really think about that. So one of one of the struggles really in Lapway it, it might've got better now. I know there's a couple of um, native teachers, you know, that have gone off to school and come back and want to work for the, for the school district. But when I was actually working as the youth prevention director, one of my, one of my struggles with the school is these teachers aren't, they're not taught about native kids and they're not taught, taught about the generational trauma that they're, they've, they've experienced or their, their parents have experienced or their grandparents have experienced. And so they're teaching kids not knowing who this kid is or where this kid comes from or their learning styles or their experiences. And it's really hard for kids to learn in that environment. But when you talk about representation matters, like I say that all the time, when I was growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't have a teacher that was native that looked like me. Right. And when you have all these teachers coming in, they're white. So they already don't look like us. And then they don't understand the cultural component. They don't understand this generational trauma that this kid is surviving, sometimes just surviving. And they're teaching and they're holding kids accountable at different levels when this kid is probably <clears throat> getting to school as a success that day. Um, but not understanding those struggles at home. It, it's just really hard for, for kids to learn in that environment. And I think that the school could do a better job of making sure that teachers that are brought in have this cultural sensitivity or cultural awareness training when they come in and they start teaching. Because if they don't, it's, it's just really, I, I think the kid loses every single time. That was an experience when, as a youth prevention director, that I, I really wanted to 
help help shift. I think that makes a great segue, I think, to rise above and how that might be intersecting with the education system. But first, I'd like to know just even more about Rise Above than in your organization. You know, Rise Above was really founded to educate and empower and build resiliency for kids and using sport as a modality. We use sport because basketball is king on every reservation that I'm into, on most reservations that I know. Basketball is it. And ki- all kids, well, not all kids, most kids love basketball, right? So it was kind of a combination of a couple previous nonprofits that me and my co founder, Brad Myers, uh, worked together on. And really just incorporating sport and education. And, and it really, it's not a, like a one hit wonder for everyone because all tribes, all communities are so different. So what we try to do is tailor each of our education, tailor each of our prevention clinics to the needs of that community. So sometimes we've done, you know, suicide awareness. Sometimes we've done drug and alcohol, healthy relationships, whatever that looks like for that community, whatever their needs are, we partner. We don't, we don't try and teach everything. We're not experts in everything. We're not trying to be experts in everything. So we partner with their behavioral health teams, their higher education teams teams, their youth program teams, and we try and really edify who those leaders are within that community so the kids are more comfortable going and understanding the resources available to them. It is really, it's it's been a really, really fun experience. It's sport because science tells us that kids are more engaged and kids learn more when they're having fun and they're active and they're moving. So why not meet kids where they're at? and send this message. And and we use this example when we're doing proposals for tribes or different organizations is if we go into a community and we say, we're going to have a drug and alcohol prevention talk from 12 to one, come get a free lunch. You know, we'll get five kids. But if we say, we're going to come into your community, we're going to hold a free basketball clinic from nine to four with a lunch and you get a free t-shirt, come out. It doesn't matter the size of the community. We get over 100 kids every single time. And if we're able to impact just one kid in each of those clinics, that's really our goal is really to reach one kid through the messaging. We haven't partnered with schools directly. However, I actually just got a message from the University of Idaho yesterday about incorporating a similar program for the Nez Perce tribe, and she wants to talk. So I was like, absolutely. I love this idea. One of their themes is culture is prevention or prevention is culture, but really using sport as a way for prevention. And that's what we do. We call our clinics prevention basketball clinics, because if we can teach kids the DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, some of those skills and integrate those into clinics, one of the things I always tell kids is radical acceptance. I think even as adults, there's a lot of adults that can use, can learn radical acceptance and really teaching them those skills that there's a lot of things that are going to happen in life that you have to accept and move on, or it's a bad call, or you studied really hard needed to get the grade you wanted or whatever in life, you have to be able to accept that you can't control that and you have to move on. So we've tried to be really creative with our messaging, who we partner with. One of the things that I'm super proud of is really protecting the brand, protecting Rise Above and not growing too fast, not trying to do too much, but really mastering what we do and what we're good at. So Rise Above has just been, it's been an awesome experience to grow. And I would be remiss if I said it was easy, but it isn't. (laughs) It's really, really hard, but it's, it's exciting and I would not trade it for anything. 
I'm going to open up this conversation because I'm actually realizing for all of us right now, even Jamie, you can unmute and join us, but all of us in our stories as we were preparing connected to sports. And so the fact that you have an organization that is leaning heavily into the regulatory capacity that sports can offer. I'm wondering if we can jump into that for a second of what is it? What is it for you, Jackie, that makes sports so regulating? For me, I can think about it. I played soccer and basketball all through high school, and then I played college soccer. But I, I think it, I think it's a strong statement that that's what you decided to go into. And obviously, you talked about that community community piece. But just if you can connect that for yourself, what was so regulating for that? Because what we're seeing in education these days is a continual increase in the inequities for kids to access sports. It's all after school. It's it comes with more funding necessary than some of our kids and families have. I mean, I don't know if you want to start of what what is so regulating about sport. You know, I've always asked when we started expanding Rise Above and working with new partners is I've always tried to understand like why basketball? Like why do native communities love basketball? And I've got a lot of different answers. And I ask a lot of people this question who are diff- from different reservations, from different backgrounds. Why, why do you think it's basketball? Why? And kind of one of the common themes that we've all mutually agreed upon is because you don't need a lot. You need a ball and a hoop. And you don't even really need a hoop. You need something circle that you can put through. So you don't need a team. You don't need uniforms. You don't need a coach. You don't need all these things to play. I, I think for Native communities, that was part of it. The other sport that was really big back in the day for my parents and my their their grand their parents my grandparents is baseball. When you take a you're talking about the after school and the amount of money that goes into all these sports and you know when I moved to Lake Oswego the amount of fees that were associated with playing a sport I was like we would have zero kids playing if this was incorporated at that way there would be no athletes baseball like it, it you know it's low cost you have a bunch of your friends you can throw together a team but it it is it really is all about access and we, we actually are partnering with the Seattle Kraken right now and we have this young gentleman who wants to really give communities of color indigenous communities for us specifically really access to hockey like breaking down those barriers of breaking down transportation breaking down the cost and how do we get more kids interested in hockey through breaking down barriers. And I, I, you know, I think that's a, that's a big thing. When I look at my whole experience is when I was stressed, when I needed peace, when I needed time, always with basketball, I I would just go shoot. And whenever life was overwhelming, that was my go-to basketball and music. And to this day, it's basketball and music. And maybe I'm not playing at the highest level or like working out at that level, but Basketball is peace. Basketball brings me peace and it keeps me grounded. Music is the same way. And honestly, incorporating really quick, a little plug is not all kids play sports, but 100% of kids listen to music. So that's why our partnership with Portugal and Man, we feel like is so important is that we're going to reach 100% of kids through music and we don't reach 100% of kids through sports. So Really for us, the sport doesn't matter for Rise Above. It's really meeting kids where they're at, incorporating new things, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's culture. For us, it doesn't matter. I think I'm rambling on onto the question, but there is that cultural piece. I think, you know, I grew up in Iowa. 
But when I go down to Southern Chile and I visit family down there, I mean, you're driving through all these small towns, these small villages. And the one thing that every every block, every corner is a soccer field. <laughs> and it's very similar, right? You need a ball and you need something that you can kick the ball through. And these kids, when I was down there working, I literally just walked around the corner and started playing soccer with a bunch of kids. And the joy that I, I mean, it was amazing because it's just a different component. Even though I'm from Chile, I don't speak Spanish. And it was the first time for me of, I still fit in. I didn't have to know maybe all the cultural norms. I didn't have to know the language, but I knew the game and it was awesome. And these kids, these high schoolers, nothing mattered. And I was decent with the ball, which, which helped. So I think that there is that regulating component, yeah, through community, but through the rhythm of just yeah. moving moving your body. The serve and return that is normally verbal communication was happening through the movement of bodies. And so that was... Every time I go down there, I just think about that of the that cultural piece. I'm so glad you addressed that. I, I grew up in North Dakota near Standing Rock Reservation and loved, 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 loved the way they played basketball. And I, I, I didn't want to bring that up as a stereotype, but everywhere in North Dakota, our reservation teams had these beautiful, fluid basketball players. So there's such flow to to the way they play the game. and and. and to be stereotypical again, the way they run cross country and track and beautiful runners. I hope that something's celebrated by them. I, it was for me. I was I was in awe of it. Um, even as a young person, why is this beautiful flow part of the culture that really translates to the sports that you're sharing? Yeah, I don't know. I can't answer that, but I do know that. When people are playing, for me, what I always say is basketball is. For me, it is culture. And for me, it is taking pride in who I represent when I'm on the court, who I do I represent family, my community, my tribe. So for me, it was always a prideful thing. Even when I was playing college in Illinois State, understanding that people were watching, like especially when our games were televised on whatever network, and I knew that people would have access to it, like it was just super prideful. And I think when you're playing for a higher purpose, when you're playing for a bigger reason, it's just, there, there's just something to it. There's something magical, there's something spiritual about the experience. And that's the only thing that I would say is that it's very prideful when, when you're doing it on behalf of your tribe. And I think one of the things with basketball is that there is so much support. If you go to a basketball game on a reservation back home for me, the gym is packed. The crowd is crazy. It's always like this, a cool experience for our people to come in and see because it's like young high school kids and people are just so like into the game. I go to games here in Seattle and I'm like, where is the crowd? I have more people supporting my little town of a hundred kids in high school than this pool of 2000 kids has at their games. I might go back, Je Jessica, to what you said about regulation is when we see these these kids regulated, we see them in their best form and their, their lives flow in a way that's noticeable. And I, I think it's both. I think it's it's the regulatory nature of basketball, but it's also the cultural importance of it. I think it's the sense of belonging. Jackie, your story was perfect of when you were in that community, you had people showing up that didn't play, but being there, you feel like you belong, cheering the team on, connecting it in that level with the person sitting next to you. You can't really make that up. It's like it's like probably when you go to a Portugal the Man concert, when you're in this in this place of music brings around community. Mm -hmm. um, 
that we all crave as humans. And it is, it's just sad because we don't offer that as much to the kids these days. So I'm glad that you're doing that work and making that possible for our students. And Jamie, I don't want to put you on the spot because you actually did stay muted the whole time. But anything that you want to add about sport for you? I mean, I totally agree with what everyone said. When I think about the most regulating times in basketball, it was when the team was a close-knit family, that relational community feeling. And when we had a coach that was really into getting the extended community involved with supporting our games. Uh, When I think about times that basketball was dysregulating, it was when our team just wasn't meshing. Our coach was adding to that uh, dysfunction, I guess you could say. When I think of regulation in basketball, I think of community and I, I think of that family component to it. Okay, now I remember, Jamie, you, you inspired me of your connection there, is that we've been focusing a lot on the power of sport from the community and regulation perspective. I also think there's a benefit that we don't talk enough about its ability to help us learn, which is again, being an educational podcast. I feel like we should probably jump into that just for a second of sport has the capacity to help us intake academic content. I always remember growing up, I know that I had athletes that we played sports together, that that school was hard when they had to sit down in a desk and, and take tests and not move, but you got them on the court. You got them on the field. They could retain hundreds of plays. <laughs> which was just so ironic to me thinking back on it now. What does that tell us? That moving our body, being in relationship with other people, they had no problem. I think it goes back also also to understanding who your kids are. When you're teaching in these indigenous communities, for example, is that you have to understand their learning styles. And, And even adults, when we go into presentations, adults, the way they were taught and the way they learn are very very different. They absorb yeah. a lot more information if it's a storytelling, if it's it's less presentation and more storytelling. One of the things where some folks don't understand as, as teachers is sports sometimes is the only reason kids are in school. And that is the only thing that they have that is bringing them hope. They actually have hope when they're on the court. And when they're in the classroom, that's just, they're surviving that. A lot of times our kids are punished and taking away sport. And like, that is the worst thing that you could do to this kid is take away sport. Again, it goes back to understanding who you're working with, understanding the kid and taking some time to to ask about the family, to ask about their home, how they learn best. I think that we don't We don't take enough time to learn about others and learn what works. We're in the space of, this is what I was taught. This is how I teach. This is what I'm trying to get you to do. And if you don't do it, then we'll figure out a way to get you to the score or the standardized testing stuff. And for me, it always goes back to really putting the time into understanding your kids and understanding who you're teaching and understanding the community that you're in. Because if you're going into an indigenous community and you don't do your due diligence, it's going to be very obvious to kids that you're there for reasons other than investing. That's why I love working with kids also is they're little truth tellers. They don't even know they're truth tellers, but they are. They gravitate to the people who they know are genuine, who they know care. 
And that's what I love about kids is they're little truth tellers and they know when you care and they know when you're invested. And it's not even about us going into those indigenous spaces. It's about the spaces that we have taken from our indigenous students and they're in schools that are not even in, in quote unquote indigenous spaces. And, and it's still having to understand that sense of survival. And it's our responsibility to shift that for them. We have to acknowledge in all spaces because we've taken that from them. Jackie, we can go all the way back to something you said earlier in the podcast, more movement and more music in the classroom, <laughs> taking what we're learning and applying it more generally in the classroom, not just on the basketball court is going to make a big difference. I have to ask Jackie this because when I knew who I was going to meet today, it reminded me of a book I read when I was teaching, Counting Coup. I'm guessing you know that book about a, a, a Native American, a young Native American basketball player in Montana, girl. I mean, the, the author went to write about the boys basketball team and met her and ended up writing about her because she was just such a beautiful player. But what I, I found fascinating and what I wanted to ask you about parallel to your life, it was kind of hard. There were some people in the community that didn't appreciate her stretching out. Do you encounter any of that, Jackie, as you're stretching it out? And does that cause any kind of uh, consternation back in Lapway? Like, wow, who does she think she is? Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. I actually experienced that when I moved to Lake Oswego. So we can go back to when I was 15, you know, leaving my community and then going to Lake Oswego where I was making some really poor life decisions in Lapway. You know, I was drinking, I was smoking, I was hanging with the wrong crowd. School wasn't important. It was just about basketball. So when I moved to Lake Oswego, all that shifted. I stopped making those not so healthy decisions. I started investing into school and training harder. But when I went back to Lapway, it was like, oh, who does she think she is? And the term apple, people always use your one color on the outside and white on the inside. And I was like, okay, I like I, this was partly not even my choice to move. So it was really hard. When I got my very first letter of interest, it was from Vivian Stringer at Rutgers University. And I was, a, I think it was the beginning of my sophomore year or something or end of my freshman year. And I remember downplaying the letter because I didn't want to feel that I didn't want others to feel that I was special or I was I had more talent or I was going somewhere or like I just remembered downplaying that. So it wasn't a big deal because when I was in Lapway, even as a young kid, as 14 and 15, they did this feature article on me because I was two time player of the year. And it wasn't supported by some folks. And it was like, well, why is the article on her? Why isn't on the team? The team won. She didn't win. And so mm. even today, looking at this film, looking at the nonprofit who are partners with these very cool opportunities, it's hard for me because that's just so not who I am. That is the furthest thing from who I am is feeling superior. And I think it goes back to being comfortable with who we are what our choices are as adults and who we choose to gravitate to. And we were talking about the script and, you know, all these folks are, their actual names are in the script right now. But <laughs> when I was going through the very first review, so are we going to change people's names? Because I eventually have to go back home one day. I have yeah. to go back to my community. I have to go back and see these schools and these families with the film coming out. I'm mentally preparing. I'm actually getting back into therapy because I, I think that I have to be in a good place mentally to yeah. be able to absorb the good, the bad, the indifferent, whatever comes. It's hard because 
when you generally want to get out of something, when you generally want to do better, move forward, and you're unable to, it's easy to be envious of somebody who is living what we hope to live. It's not to do anything to impress people, but to impress upon people that we can all do this. A rising tide lifts all ships. This isn't about me. It's not about a certain thing. It's about how do we create a generational shift? How do we create better opportunities for our kids that they can all have these experiences, that they can all be passionate about what they're doing for their lives, about finding their purpose and finding their why. I'll put an amen on that. I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. And just to give it some context, because you were talking about the, the, the screenplay, the script, we talked about it before we started recording, but you are working on a movie. Do you want to just tell us a quick premise of the movie? Yeah, basically it goes from my life journey from growing up on the reservation. There was a tragic incident that happened on my reservation that was part of that combined with bad decision-making that really led me to Lake Oswego. But it's less about Lake Oswego. It's more about my experience in Lapway, the community, the tight-knitness and family. It's essentially about family. And then I go off to Illinois State. And and I'm so excited and honored that I'll be starring in that. So thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, star, star yeah. role. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll be working on my basketball shots. No, that uh, was that was for the student manager. That's uh, you got. The water girl? Okay. All right. Maybe statistics. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I love Have all you seen of her you. in a statistics class? Okay. We need Sorry, to get back her. on topic. Thank you. Jackie, thanks for dealing with the chaos that is us today. You are doing such amazing work. I'm I'm kind of upset with myself that I haven't learned more about the work that you do since I know we have Bethy in common and those boys in common. And I'd love to come out and see the work that you do, figure out how we can help you. Maybe all three of us will come out, help you with the camp. Thank you for changing the system. Thank you for enlightening us today, bringing your wisdom. It's been an honor talking to you and we're grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me. And maybe we just need to do a clinic in, in Colorado because I would love that. I'd love another yes. reason to come there. I know that there's a... There's definitely a large indigenous population there. So, hey, we could just do a clinic in Colorado. Get a little, get old Michael Porter Jr. to come out. <laughs> That'll work. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.